Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 14, entitled Social Anxiety, in which I examine issue number 13, School Days. Today's episode, in interest of plot development, will also include a quick overview of Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 6, which includes our friends Spider-Man, Cloak and Dagger, and of course, everyone's favorite mutants, the New Mutants. So, as has become tradition, we're going to take a moment and review the creative team. The writer, obviously, is Chris Claremont, Sal Buscema's pencils, Tom Mandrake is our finisher, Tom Orzacheski is letterer, Glynis Wynn is the colorist, Luis Jones is the editor, and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. So it's pretty much the standard creative team for this era. Uh, the title of, of this issue is School Days, and that days is spelled D-A-Y-S-Z-E, like dazed, like dazed and confused is the play there. You'll see why as we get into this issue, that is the title that has been chosen. The issue opens with the New Mutants introducing Professor Xavier to Amara and Amara to Professor Xavier. They're they're in Xavier's study, and this is a actually a very formal introduction. I'm kind of surprised by this compared to how the rest of the mutants, uh, new mutants, had have met Xavier. Um, you know, and it's it's like I said, it's very formal. Um, Danny presents. This is what Danny says. Professor Charles Xavier, allow me to present Lady Amara Juliana Olivia Aquila, late of the lost city of Novaroma. Thank you, Daniel. Welcome, to, welcome, child, to my school for gifted youngsters and to the new mutants. Right, and like, this is going to, this formality, whether it was done to, pull, you know, make, Amara more comfortable or feel more at home or like because that's something from her tradition this is going to have a impact later on we will see so uh Xavier he he asks Amara to you know Amara thanks him for being so gracious and for helping her and Xavier asks her to walk with him and they they proceed down a hallway and and discuss things she asks Xavier so what exactly is a mutant. Um, Xavier tells him her someone with extra, this is his quote exactly, someone born with extra human powers and abilities. In your case, it involves manipulation of tectonic forces. He then uses his telepathic ability to communicate telepathically with her. She notices, obviously, that he spoke in her mind, but she didn't hear it, you know, audibly. And he says, yes, you know, he's a telepath. Um, that's his gift. And he shows her her room. Right? Well, meanwhile, they're carrying on their conversation. Uh, these Xavier and Amara are getting to know one another. The new mutants talk about how Amara's probably going to struggle. They all remember what it was like when they were first introduced to this 
uh, school and, and they'll be, and, and Sam says, well, you know, we'll be there for her. If, if they, if she needs help, we're there. We're her friends and teammates. We will, we will do what we can for her. Now, back to Amara and Xavier. Her room is a replica of her room back in her father's villa in Nova Roma. And she's shocked by this, obviously. Xavier explains, well, some of these materials, obviously, you brought with you, but the rest, I used my abilities to take images from your mind, and that's how we replicated the room. And she, she's like, well, are none of my thoughts secret? And he tells her that telepaths, they, they prize privacy above all else. But this is a common thread for Xavier, where he just, you know, against without prior consent from the from people around him he just takes images from their mind and well the intentions may be good like there's a manipulation in that right his his desires to make her feel comfortable that might be all good and and well nice and well but like that underseeds a fear in people that like he has to automatically defend right away, right? Like, she confronts him as soon as he tells her, well, I took these images from your mind. That's how we replicated the room. Well, are you always going to be looking in my mind? How do I know you're not, like, snooping around there right now? You know, and he automatically has to explain, well, no, I I prize privacy, even though consistently he doesn't. It's an odd little juxtaposition, and it creates more problems with other people around Xavier than it doesn't, as we'll see later in this issue. Xavier tells her, well, I'll leave you to your room, you know, you know, just get settled in, and she admires it and, you know, feels really at home at first. She's remarks, she's thinking to herself, like, she could just feels like she could beckon her, her maid to, you know, servants to come to her and, and that's how at home it feels, how natural it feels. But she notices that there's no view of the mountains. And <clears throat> there, at a flip of a switch, the lamps will come on, um, which she is surprised by this, this thing that she, you know, has learned is called electricity. You know, she feels very much out of place, very much like a savage, because everyone else takes all these na- these wonders around her. All these things are taken for granted, electricity, you know, cars, all this stuff. Well, it's technology, <clears throat> but for her, it's something that is brand new and unheard of, so she feels very much out of place, and then as she's thinking about this stuff, the ground begins to shake, and she realizes her abilities have, have triggered, and it's something that she has to master. Her fear had caused this reaction, had caused the ground to begin to shake, and she, she knows she has to control that. That's where she decides that that's something she has to do. Xavier's been monitoring, obviously, as well. He feels the shaking, and he, and he, you know, he reaches out with his mind and, and realizes there's no danger. Things calm down fairly quickly, but he's going to have to keep a close watch on Amara because she, it's too easy for her abilities to get out of control, and he'll have to help her rein those in. Later that night, on the patio out back of the, the mansion, the Xavier Institute, we see Xavier. He's flanked by Roberto on one side and Daniel Moonstar, who is cooking hot dogs and burgers on a grill. Uh, Roberto's staring off in the night sky. 
um, and it appears they're getting ready for a barbecue. Stevie Hunter and, and Rain are stepping out of the house, and it turns out that Danny is, you know, cooking because the boys, they're the ones who suggested throwing this barbecue for Amara. Uh, they, they're they using their, their lack of knowledge in, uh, in preparing food as a reason that they shouldn't be helping, and Danny points that out to, to Stevie. And Roberto chimes in telling him, well, you know, if you want food poisoning, you know, I'll, I'll definitely cook, and I, this is the best re- response, the best retort Danny Danny fires off at Roberto. You're a bright lad, Roberto. Learn. And it's so true, right? Like, he can learn. It won't hurt him. But this this jovial, you know, hazing or, you know, rib, ribbing uh, is interrupted when uh, Amara steps out onto the patio. She steps out to the patio, and they notice that she is dressed in this love her best evening gown her best dress that that she brought with her from Nova Roma and she's well really overdressed and and Stevie points this out to Danny that like you know didn't you tell her that this was a picnic that she's dressed for a royal banquet and Danny's like well I said it was dinner I didn't realize I had to tell her it wasn't formal I just assumed she'd she'd think she'd come dressed informally and you know it it kind of played in from from this introduction right the way they introduced her to Xavier was a fairly formal introduction and Xavier's you know presented her with these trappings of her old life and you know she used to be a daughter of the senator right like they've all been talking about like Amara's past and like trying to make her feel comfortable and ease here and in doing so they've kind of tapped into this like suggesting that this is more formal than it may have they may have intended it's not that far off or outlandish that she might you know assume that things were a little more formal based on the way she's been engaging with them since they arrived at the mansion at Xavier's uh school here and you know of course she feels super awkward and is worried that they're going to think she's a snob or a fool and <clears throat> Roberto, you know, in this moment, he he steps in and he and he does his thing. He he lays on the charm. You know, he tells her, "If there is fault, dear lady, it is ours alone. But well worth it for the privilege to of beholding such loveliness as yours." And Danny's so grateful. She's relieved that you know Roberto's turned on the charm at this point. Like she she thinks that he could charm any woman alive. She just really wishes, uh, and and she notices that. That was working on Amara. Like she's got a fun, you know, she's got a smile on her face. She's she's enjoying herself at this moment, um, and that's that's great. But Danny really wants that attention from Roberto, and we've been seeing this this which is becoming a triangle. Amara is the center of two triangles, really. One of the points of two triangles: um, Sam, Amara, and Rain, and then we have Roberto, Danny, and and Amara here as well. So this this is interrupted. This moment is interrupted by a crack of thunder. And we see Sam. He is, he's using his abilities. He's run to into, uh, into town to get 
some soda, some pop, and he's bringing it back for the party, and he sees Amara down below, he, he notices how lovely she is, and he he wants her to watch. He's going to do some some moves, some stunts. And he does some rolls and some loops in the sky as he comes in for a landing. And, you know, you know, Xavier tries to warn him that he's too close to the ground to be doing this stuff. And Sam doesn't heed those warnings. And he crashes into the patio. And that sends these bottles of pop flying through the air and they hit the ground and they shatter. Sam is drenched in sticky soda but even worse than that Amara is drenched. Most of the soda crashed and broke open at her feet. These are glass bottles sending the soda spring all over her. Her dress, her hair, everything her body. She just has soda running from her face dripping off of her shoulders and her arms. She is soaked with sticky pop soda and obviously she is horrified she is mortified and and Sammy he tries to apologize he feels horrible obviously but she is just you know overwhelmed at this point like she has been embarrassed she feels like a fool and and an idiot for having dressed up when they all didn't expect her to and now she she's been made a fool by having this pop splashed all over her and worse yet that's her mother's gown. It's the one link she had to her mother. And and now she's afraid that the dress has been ruined. And she calls Sam a dolt, dolt telling, you know, and runs off into the woods. And she's just distraught. She's in tears and just upset, obviously. Danny wants to comfort her, but but is as she steps towards Amara, a fissure in the ground opens. Roberto pulls her to safety, thankfully. Um... And lava bursts forth from burst forth from the fissure, and it splatters up all over a tree, and and a tr- the tree catches on fire. Roberto rips it out of the ground and tosses it using a sunspot form, tosses it into to the lake. Uh, <clears throat> and rain, she transforms to her wood spot wolf's form into wolfsbane, and 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 follows Amara into the woods and she and, and Danny follows suit. She she uses her telepathic rapport with Rain to follow Rain. Rain easily tracks Amara to the spot that she's hiding in the woods. Amara's nestled under a tree, leaning against a rock. She's crying. Danny tells them, you know, Rain, hey, we, we just need to hang back. We'll watch her, but we need to let her work this out on our own. If she needs us, we will we'll step in. And Amara's, you know, she's just distraught. She's despair bearing she's depressed she's she's struggling right now and she's upset because you know what happened she's she's upset that she lost control of her powers she realizes that she lost her temper and this this is what happens when she loses her temper she she could kill people and she she begins to wonder like is it even possible for her to to control our powers, can her powers be brought under control? Can she live a normal life? I mean, what if she kills somebody? She she doesn't want to do that, and she tries to like rally. She tells herself, you know, Xavier has helped the new mutants. He's taught other mutants. Danny's told him he can do. Told me that he can do the same for her. Um, and she thinks to herself, he must. For if he fails, she won't let herself live. She'll commit suicide. So, before we move on, I, I want to touch quickly on the the sound of thunder. 
that Amara comments on when Sam is returning with with uh, Soda. Um, he's using his ability, his propulsion abilities, and um, most of the time, no, you know, there's often times where we we see no no uh, indication that there's sound. Nobody comments on it. Um, we've never had anyone comment on it before this. Um, and I, it, it makes me wonder if, if it is silent, if he is, if his propulsion is silent, if when he's using his cannonball abilities, if it is silent and if he is just traveling at this point so quickly that maybe he just broke the sound, he's breaking the sound barrier. And since they're in, you know, we would, you'd only hear it once when it was broken. And I mean, you'd hear it throughout the flight, his travels, but you would only hear it as one boom, right? In one location. I would hear it once as a boom. And so as he's returning, she may hear the sonic boom of his return. Just like if he were to have left and was going supersonic, he would create a sonic boom, which might attribute to the sound of thunder. I don't know. It's not specified. It's not clarified. And as far as I know, there isn't any um, any clarification. Um, but if if you listeners do know, please drop me a line. Let me know. Uh, I just thought it was interesting and, and wanted to take the time to comment on it. Interlude. Elsewhere, headquarters, federal government project wide awake. We see Director Henry Peter Guywich, who we are familiar with from issue number two, and. A new person we have not seen in New Mutants, Dr. Valerie Cooper. She's aide to presidential national security advisor, Judge Richard Petre. And, of course, billionaire industrialist, Sebastian Shaw, and member of the Hellfire Club, is, is there with them. And they're watching as they're about to begin a test on new these new sentinels that they've been working on. Shaw has been bankrolling and building the sentinels for the federal government. And um, let's talk momentarily about Valerie Cooper. Her first appearance was in Uncanny X-Men 176, and she uh, she's pretty much of the same mindset as Henry Peter Guyrich uh, as far as mutants. She sees them as a threat to the United States in terms of really being used in in a similar way as nukes were, which is an arms race. The first nation to bring mutants into uh, use as far as weapons to attack other nations is going to have power unimaginable power and and so there needs to be the united states needs to take action and so she falls into the camp of of henry peter guyrich um and so what these these three are doing is like i said they're testing sentinels and they begin the test but something goes wrong and the sentinel loses control it begins to destroy the facility and People are panicked. They don't know what to do. Uh, Henry Peter Guyrich, uh, you know, is yelling um, for his his person at the controls to 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 turn it off, to to stop this from happening. And you know, it's not responding. Somebody has hacked the system. There's something wrong, and he can't regain control of the Sentinel. It is out of control, and it's and it's 
wreaking havoc in the facility. Um, and Henry Peter Greyrich steps in and he he hits his auto destruct uh, button and the Sentinel explodes. And um, we find out that these Sentinels cost five million dollars. Um, and you know, so there's another Sentinel, five million dollars just wasted um, as this as he has to destroy. Um, destroy the sentinel and he he's now he's furious obviously he he needs to figure out who hacked their system they've got to trace them and, and find these people and and you know bring them to task for what they've done meanwhile far from the chaos at project wide awake in salem center in the home of douglas ramsey we see Kitty Pride and Doug Ramsey. They're both at computers, and they're typing away feverishly. They apparently have, are the ones who hacked into this project wide awake and taking control of the Sentinels. Just as quickly as they entered the system, um, they were able to access this systems, their systems tonight. Their systems went offline, so the destruction of that Sentinel... Uh, knocked them out of the systems of Project Project Wide Awake. Um, Kitty asks if they can be tracked. Doug says he didn't think so, um, but he's very impressed with the computer that Kitty's bu- built them built for them. Um, and what we're finding out is Doug Ramsey's extremely intelligent, just like Kitty Pride, and they're about the same age. Uh, Doug was Ramsey. This is his first appearance in this issue, but he was mentioned in. Uh, X-Men 177. Uh, Kitty Pride, her first appearance is Uncanny X-Men 129, and she has the ability to basically walk through walls. Uh, she can phase into inst- intangibility, letting her move through objects, walk on air, and disrupt electronic systems. So, you know, these two have been up to no good. But they're really good friends, and Kitty's excited that she's finally got a friend like that she can relate to that's her own age. Because she's super atar- smart, right? She's as young or younger than some of the new mutants, and has always had trouble relating to people her own age, and extre- rates, relates extremely well to adults, and she's fit in really well with the X-Men. So Doug's really the first friend she's had that that's close to her own age that she she can you know that can actually hang with her in terms of intelligence and interests that she sh- shared interest um and so there they go downstairs to grab a bite and she notices how late it is and she phases through the back door wall of his house saying you know she has to go she hopes that that's out of Doug's sight because he doesn't know she's a mutant and uh, Xavier Mind calls her at this point, saying, "Hey, you need to get back. You're late." Uh, and she runs back towards the mansion, uh, and she decides to cut through some woods because it's a shortcut. If she takes the roads, it'll take much longer to get back. She's got to get back. Um, and so on her way back, she bumps into Amara. She finds this girl, and she knows who it is because obviously she's staying at the, staying at the mansion. So is so are the New Mutants, and she. She's not really sure. She feels bad. She wants to help her, but uh, she doesn't know what to do. She knows she looks upset. She's a little worried, though, because she's so bad at relating people. She asks if she's okay, 
um, saying, you know, I'm a student at the Xavier Institute. I know who you are. Are you okay? And Amara tells her she doesn't need any assistance. She just wants to be left alone. And Kitty tries again, asking, is there really nothing I can do? I, I want to help. And Amara really just goes off the handle. Her hair begins to turn to flame. She begins to slip into the magma form. Um, she yells at her, are you deaf, girl? Did you not hear what I said? I want to be alone. And Kitty, you know, apologizes and stomps off. Um, you know, feeling really sorry for herself, angry and feeling sorry for herself, saying, you know, thinking to herself, this always happens whenever I try to relate to people my own age, you know, I just can't do it. So, you know, why even bother trying? You know, and, and she's in this mopey state. She's worried about, like, her friendship with Doug Ramsey affecting her relationship with Peter Rasputin. And, boy, she's just a teenager with a tough life. And, boy, howdy, how tough it is to be her. And la di da di da um, You know, what if her love for Peter is overridden by her love for Doug? And, well, it's so hard to be a kid, right? And this is perfect for New Mutants book because that's exactly what happens with the New Mutants. And lo and behold, who do you think she bumps into? Sam, Roberto, Danny, and Wolf Spain all are coming out to check on Amara. And they ask, and she asks, what are you, you know, hey, what are you, what are you guys doing out here? And, and Roberto shoots back at her, looking after our own Miss Pride. And Kitty's like, well, I don't think Amara needs anybody to look after. She can take care of herself. Um, and she's notice, you know, notices that the new mutants are acting kind of touchy. And Danny's like, are you surprised? You've made no secret of your dislike for us ex-babies. It sort of makes tonight's sudden solicity ring a little hollow, you know. And Kitty's like, well, I can take the hint. And Kitty's not happy. She feels really she's upset, you know, and she, she's called again by Xavier, you know, you need to report to my office at once, she, you know, he wants no further delays, and this is, you know, this isn't just a private mind call to Kitty, Xavier uh, presented himself to all the students, so, you know, Wolf Spains feels bad for it, you know, because he sounds really angry, and, You know, they kind of feel bad for her, but Kitty, you know, walks off, you know, because she's got to go visit with Xavier, and the new mutants are left in the woods to tend after Amara. So, Kitty arrives at Xavier's study, and Xavier's like, you know, you have missed another training in the danger room, and, you know, this, this has to stop happening you know, you're you're an X-Men, and we don't know your true extent of your, of your powers, and you're in dangerous situations all the time, and your teammates rely upon you, and one of these times, something could go wrong, and because we don't know the extent of your powers, and because we haven't, you know, gotten you to your full potential, like, I, you know, who knows what could happen in the field, you, you know, you have a responsibility to your team, and Kitty says, well, I didn't do it on purpose, I just lost track of time when I was working with Doug. And Xavier's like, he, hey, I'm happy you got a friend your own age. 
No one's more happy about that than I do, than I am. But that doesn't change the fact. Um, you still have a responsibility to the X-Men. You joined the X-Men. You chose to accept certain responsibilities. Um, your teammates' lives depend on you as yours depend on them. And so he's kind of scolding her at this point, you know, telling her she needs to make a decision whether or not she wants to honor those obligations. And he's also really tired of this feud that she's having with the new mutants. Like, it needs to stop. He calls it idiotic, right? Like, she is older. She's the same age or younger than some of them. And to call them ex-babies, especially when two of them are older than her and have been using their powers pretty regularly in the field to this point. Like, they're not babies, and he he asks her, you know, to think back to how she first felt when she realized she had her, you know, had powers and what, how exciting that was for her and, and what kind of terror there was for her and really to try to help the mutants perhaps in doing, you know, and if she can do that, she'll better be able to come to terms with herself. And so Kitty kind of dejectedly, she phases through a wall and heads back to her room. And we're going to dive into the explanation of Marvel Team-Up, annual number six. So now is the appropriate time to talk about Marvel Team-Up, annual number six. Uh, And part of that is due to the fact that Chris Claremont and... The character he's writing, Charles Xavier, bring it up in the middle of this issue. And so I'm forced to talk about it. We're going to just do a quick, quick overview. And as it becomes more relevant, I will give it more attention as needed. But uh, Xavier, he's he's sitting alone in his study. You know, he's just talked with Kitty Pride, talked about responsibility that she has to uh, the X-Men and to you know, the mutants at the school and how she needs to, you know, pull her weight and she needs to bury the hatchet with the new mutants. He's looking in on Amara. He's concerned about her. It's cold outside. She's still laying out in the, in the woods, um, kind of isolated and alone, wanting to be left alone. Uh, he's, he's thinking about his responsibilities in general. And he figures he can send some of his students to help Amara to the bedroom, if she, to her bed, if, if she were to fall asleep out there. Um, so he's not concerned about her terribly. You know, that situation's in hand. But what does leap to his mind is another responsibility he has, and that's to Rain and Roberto. Uh, he would like to have them examined uh, due to events that occurred in Marvel Annual Team-Up number 6. And uh, what happened in that issue is um, they ran, had a run-in with Cloak and Dagger in New York. So the way that issue opened is the New Mutants are in New York. They're at Broadway. There's some character stuff. Um, they went to see the play Cats or the musical Cats, and Roberto really enjoyed it. For obvious reasons, women in tight clothing, very relieve, revealing. 
Rain was a little bit skittish about it. Danny, you know, kind of expressed her opinion about it. Sam wasn't one way or the other. But we got, for anybody that hadn't read New Mutants to that point, certainly now you got a little bit of a information about the characters. Well, they go from there. They're supposed to head back. Sam wants to go back, but Roberto, he's like, no, we're going to stay in New York. I'm going to enjoy this time away from the Institute. doesn't matter. He goes to an arcade, and he begins playing Alien Invaders. So, for any, I believe that's the game. For any of you that are unfamiliar with it, it is an arcade game. Um, you had a little tank that slid... Uh, parallel at the bottom of the screen from border to border and you could fire straight up and alien monsters would slowly descend down the screen and you could you'd shoot them and destroy as many as you possibly could to clear levels so that's what he's playing and he's doing a really good job and we know that because there's a crowd around him and they're all surprised and in awe and some guy hassles rain roberta goes to her defense he pulls a knife a big fight ensues the new mutants reveal themselves to be mutants. They run off. The group gets split up. Danny and Sam go one way. Roberto and Rain go another way. Roberto and Rain are both rendered unconscious and taken away by these gang members. Meanwhile, Sam and Danny, or Sam and, yeah, Sam and Danny, they, they find a church. They go in. They're confronted by Cloak and Dagger. Well, Spider-Man just happens to be watching the scene, and he's familiar with Cloak and Dagger. He's also familiar with at least the uniforms and the symbol on their, the, X-Men's, the X symbol on the belt. He assumes they're X-Men. Well, there's about to be a fight. He breaks it up. He says, hey, I know, I know Xavier. I know the X-Men. I know you guys, we're all friends, let's not fight, that's just a waste of time. So he avoids a fight, a confrontation between the Numeans and Cloak and Dagger. Uh, Danny and Sam, a kind of cool thing here is, they didn't realize that Spider-Man was a real person. The the Numeans have been so isolated within their corner of the, uh, the, the Marvel Universe, so isolated within the X related stuff that that they're not really branched out yet. They don't have awareness of who's real and who's not. They believed Spider-Man was made up. And so they're really surprised and kind of kind of starstruck having met uh Spider-Man. So they all go off to try to rescue Roberto and Rain. Well, Roberto and Rain are being held at this warehouse uh in this warehouse looks like an old meat meat packing plant. Um on West uh, on West Fourteenth Street, and it turns out that they were captured and brought here because uh, by order of this group of mobsters. And what they're trying to do is is really replicate what they did to Cloak and Dagger. And so what they had done to Cloak and Dagger was inject them with this drug, synthetic drug. It was supposed to be super addictive. Uh, it was killing a whole bunch of teens that they were injecting with. Them, you know, killed just killed large numbers. The only two that weren't killed were Cloak and Dagger, and they developed these powers. At the time that that kind of happened, and right around this point, it's thought that they were probably mutants. That is later going to change. Later on in Marvel continuity, that's changed. They, they take, they're no longer mutants. But at the time that this was written, they were considered mutants. 
And so that's why new mutants, when they're injected with this similar serum, they develop similar powers. And so what they want to do is inject those, the new mutants, Roberto and Rain, they want to inject them, knowing they're mutants, and the hopes that they will become addicted to this substance and develop powers similar to those of Cloak and Dagger, but they will be subservient because they'll need, they'll need more injections. They'll need more of this drug. Otherwise, they'll go through withdrawals. So it'll make them pliable to the mob's will, and they can use them to defeat Cloak and Dagger. Ends up that they do inject Roberto and uh, Rain both with the serum, and uh, they develop sim. Their powers kind of um, go kind of, well wonky. That's a good way to describe it. Well, before that kind of really develops, before we see how their powers change. Uh, the new mutants, Spider-Man and Cloak and Dagger, arrive. There's a big fight between the mob and uh, and the the heroes. The heroes pretty easily handle the situation, uh, but uh, it's during this fight that um, Rain and Roberto transform, and they transform into newer, more dark versions of themselves. So. One thing to know about Cloak and Dagger is that Cloak has basically dark powers. He has a cloak. Um, he can open his cloak, and he's just darkness. He has really no body. He's got a face, this, uh, and it's a cloak. And then he opens the cloak, and it he can envelop people into this dark region. Um, and Dagger, she shoots light daggers, light energy. She she is light based, and Cloak is dark based. Power. Darkness-based, right? Well, that similar manifestation happens in uh, in um, Rain and Roberto. Uh, Roberto develops the power of this this intense hunger, like this darkness that just wants to consume everything, right? And uh, Rain is exuding light force that just wants to like emanate everywhere, and like the two can balance. Cloak and Dagger kind of balance each other out that way. Um, but they're both like evil manifestations. And so they they attack. Um, they, they murder the doctor and they kill the mob boss. Um, and Cloak and Dagger have to handle the situation. Cloak throws light daggers at Rain. Rain bites Dagger. And the saliva from Dagger... Uh, so... <laughs> When Rain is hit by the daggers from uh, from, dag- from uh, dagger, her light daggers, <clears throat> it, it it cleanses her body supposedly of this uh, synth- this synthetic drug. Um, but she does end up biting uh, uh, dagger, and the saliva apparently has some of that drug in it, and it and it causes. Um, dagger to kind of lose power of control of her powers meanwhile as that's happening cloak confronts roberto as in his sunspot form and he envelops him in the cloak in his in in that darkness and he too um absorbs the drug supposedly from from roberto and 
spits him out, and Bobby is back to his human form. Rain, after she has the drug purged from her system, she's gone back to her human form, but Dagger has begun to lose control of her powers. And what happens is there's a little bit of a confrontation between uh, the bottomless cloak, right, the darkness that is just all-consuming, and the light source that is just all projecting, and they can they merge together, and basically, it negates it, it brings returns balance to their powers. Um, they kind of dispel one another. So, the the synthetic drug is apparently just burned out, and everyone believes everyone believes it's it's okay. So, there's an offer for the cloak and dagger to come to the to to join the new mutants at Xavier's mansion to help them learn how to control their powers. They they don't end up taking them up on the offer. Um they decide to do it alone. But that's that's what Xavier's worried about in the scene, you know. He's thinking about he needs to verify that hey they they're okay. He's concerned that maybe there's something something off and he it, you know, he needs to make sure um and, and it would be easier if he could test Cloak and Dagger, run some tests on them, and learn about them. And so he's thinking about maybe reaching out and contacting them to, so that he can kind of understand their abilities so he can then verify that everything's okay. Um, and then he, you know, he's, he's concerned. He doesn't really know what to do going forward. You know, he does know that if he reaches out to them, they may not be receptive because there was an offer for them to join the school. They chose not to take it. And he really wishes he had somebody there to help him shoulder this burden, somebody that he really cares about, and that's Lalandra. And she's gone. She's off trying to regain control of her empire in space. Um, And he's thinking about her. And in this moment where he's thinking about her, there's a sudden mind scan. And it's happened to him before. He grabs his head. It's super painful for him. Um, And he doesn't, you know, he... It, it it happens really quickly and then it kind of dissipates and he knows that there's something up and he'd like to figure out what out what it is but if he were to develop all his time devote all his time to doing that nobody would be here to run the school and that's a, a responsibility he cannot just shrug off especially since he just lectured Kitty on that right and I really like this Charles Xavier I really like him he's he's being the teacher that he's supposed to be. He's being the mentor that he's supposed to be. This is a presentation of Charles Xavier that I really buy. Um, So let's talk momentarily. The first time we've seen this mind scan thing happen to Charles Xavier was in uh, X-Men 178. And what this is, it's the Beyonder. Beyonder's coming back to Earth. Soon we're going to have the crossover of Secret Wars 2, and this is basically building to that. This is just little seeds. Claremont's dropping into the book that will take us into the New Mutants and X-Men crossovers with Secret Wars 2, which will change so many things in the Marvel Universe and so many things for the worse. Um, it's, It's a bad, bad concept. And I really don't like Jim Shooter for having made his writers and artists contend with this. I mean, 
there is literally a comic where Spider-Man teaches the Beyonder how to poop. I mean, come on. But but let's get back to the issue. That this is kind of the state of things, and that's that's uh, that'll bring us back to focusing again on issue thirteen. So let's get back to it. The next morning, the students, the new mutants, and their teacher Xavier are all in a classroom. The new mutants all sit at computers, and Xavier's sitting in the room with them. Um, what they're doing on the computers, it's it's hard to say, but Sam is not sure. I think they're just learning how to use them. It's hard, you know, like, I grew up in an age when it, like, it's hard to remember what it was like to sit at a computer and use it. But there was a point when, especially in, like, the 80s, when students would have been learning, you know, in high school how to use a computer. That was their first time using it. It wasn't like they grew up with it in grade school where they'd go into a lab. Like, when I was a kid, I went to a lab in the library and we'd get an hour class, an hour time, basically an hour's worth of time on the computer. Um, You know, I can't even imagine today, like, kids are at home on the computer. Kids, Some kids are in classrooms on tablets and, you know, laptops. So it's a very much different experience than what what was happening in the 80s so none of the new mutants really have experience with the computer so sam guthrie's way out of his depth and he's struggling to to understand how to use it roberto it's pretty much second nature but the wealth that his family had afforded him opportunities that most of his classmates never had like certainly rain would not have had access to computer danny didn't and uh they all feel kind of, you know, like Roberto's being a hotshot. Similar to like Sam having been showing off, now Roberto has an opportunity to show off. They're young teenagers, and, and this is something that they do th- regularly throughout the series, is, is show each other up. Now, now Sam, he's feeling nervous and kind of um, frustrated, I guess is a good word for it. And and Roberto's tell or and Xavier co- coaches him through this process using his mental abilities. Now, Amara, on the other hand, she's picking up really quickly. She's never experienced anything like this, but she's shocked by it and she's intrigued that, like, when she types on these keys, letters show up on the screen and things are moving pretty pretty easily for her. It's it's working out pretty smoothly. And Rain is just jealous as can be, right? She's jealous of Mara from the beginning. And, you know, first it's because Sam is attracted to her, not Rain, because she can't trust her, because Amara's, you know, she believes is a liar, uh, all stemming back to that stuff that happened in the river when she figured out that she bared her soul to this woman who'd actually spoke English. And now here she is, a savage a barbarian, a heathen, um, who'd had no experience in the world to this point, at this time and day and age, because she had been isolated in this uh, ancient society hidden in in the Andes Mountains in Brazil, in Nova Roma, and here she is. She's just taking to the computer so naturally, and everything's so easy for her, and. You know, it it just takes her back to this place that we've seen Rain in before, where 
obviously, you know, she really was beginning to take to this idea that, you know, her teammates, Xavier, they only accept her because, you know, she's ugly, she's not talented at anything, she's naive, she's a fool, she's a stupid girl, you know, and they only want her around because of her ability to change into the, the wolf form. And Xavier catches this, right? Because he's constantly monitoring his students, using his mental abilities. Um, and he, he, can't, he doesn't know what to do, how to, how to convince Rain that that's just not true. And that's kind of the state of things. Like Amara's finding her footing, but you know everything's kind of in flux amongst these young teenagers. They're constantly bumping into each other. They're constantly trying to figure out their place as they grow and change. Uh, so after you know the the studies in the academic fields, they go into Salem Center for their physical education with Stevie. Um, they're all at in her dance studio. They're dancing, and. Stevie's taken. She's she's shocked to see that Amara is such a good dance dancer. She's and Amara says, "Well, you know, I've been dancing since I was really young." And Rain, she takes this opportunity. You know, she doesn't like that Amara's getting attention, and she leaps into the air, spinning around, and transforms through her stages into a wolf form. It's a really cool panel where we see her transforming through three panels from her human form in through her transitional lupine human form to her wolf form. And, you know, she's immediately scolded by Sam, telling her, you know, you're not supposed to be using your powers in public. What if somebody saw you? You know, how are you going to explain that? And Amara's, you know, the first to come to her defense. Uh, Rain's on her knees on the ground, kind of bashful and, like, very mopey, you know, doesn't like having been snapped at. And... She asks, and Amara's like, what, you know, we're supposed to just hide our abilities forever? Like, we're, you know, we're supposed to be ashamed of this? Or or is this forbidden? And Kitty's the next to step in, saying, cool it, Sam. It's only natural to want to show off everyone every once in a while. And, you know, it's really cool to see Kitty kind of stepping in, to, you know, for rain, because consistently, consistently in this series, to this point, the boy's showing off all the time for the girls. We saw it earlier with Sam and his can- and his loops. We've seen it constantly, you know, as he's racing slaloms in the forest. Uh, Roberto showed off numerous times, um, and, and Rain indulges in this once, feeling out of place, and like she needs some confidence and her first the first thing she's met with is frustration and anger from the guys um well Doug Ramsey shows up uh and her and her and uh Kitty Pride he and Kitty Pride take off And before Kitty leaves, this is what she says to Rain. It wasn't so long ago, Rain. I got yelled at by Aurora, Aurora for the same kind of stunt. Some of us have to learn the hard way, but we all survive. You know, it's just really this wonderful moment where Kitty makes herself, like, understandable and, like, vulnerable in a way that she hasn't to this point. And, you know, 
Rain points out, hey, amongst all of us, like I, I'm probably one that is best, the most qualified to understand that like, hey, yeah, it's dangerous to be known as a mutant because when she was first manifesting her power, she was chased by a mob. Um, the man that raised her, Reverend Craig, led a mob to try to kill her. And the only thing that saved her was her godmother, Lady Amara. And this is like graphic novel number one, first few pages of that issue. And she does apologize, saying, you know, I, I just forgot. Later in the danger room, Amaro stands ready to begin her first test in the danger room. And Xavier, he presents her with this massive metal block, and he tells her, what I want you to do is burn through this. Use your abilities, burn through it, and I'm going to track your powers using my mental abilities. Now, first, she was afraid that, like, if she uses her power, she could hurt people, she could hurt, you know, damage things. Now, she's upset with Xavier because he'd promised her that he wouldn't use her his abilities to get in her head ever, you know, without her permission. And she's, you know, accusing him that, yes, you know, you've been doing it all along, and that, you know, I won't be lied to. I'm not a slave. I'm not going to be controlled and manipulated by you. Like, I'm free and I'm a citizen of Roma. And she runs off. He yells after her to wait. Uh, she goes to her room. And later that night, she's laying in bed. She's been crying. She's been crying a lot in this issue. But she's crying again. And she's, you know, tells, you know, we see in her thought bubbles that she's been ignoring his, his telepathic calls to her. Um... And, you know, he could have very easily, obviously, used his abilities to make her go to the danger room and make her do these things, but he didn't. And she said, she thinks to herself that that counts for something. She realizes he's not an evil guy, that he's been really kind and nice to her. And so she's trying to figure out what's so weird about this. Why is it so problematic to her? Well... You know, part of it that he hardly seems human. His abilities set him apart from what she considers to be a normal human. And then the other part is her. You know, it's because... Simply because of what she can do with her powers, right? And what she might, what he might see by accident or by design. Like that there's a secret place in her heart and soul that she really wants to do terrible things and like the the stuff that happened to her in last issue in in Nova Roma like those desires from those fever dreams like what if he finds out about that right and then she starts thinking about what happened when she was on the boat with rain and how rain had poured out her heart not knowing right not knowing that Amara could speak English and how vulnerable rain probably felt and how alien and, like, how much that betrayed her trust. And here, like, if Xavier's able to see her thoughts, it'll be almost exactly the same thing. And there's, you know, she doesn't want that. She she feels vulnerable and alien, and she likes the New Mutants, but doesn't think she really fits in there. She thinks she's just got to go home to Nova Roma, and she feels really sorry. She tried really hard, but she just doesn't belong. She, this is what she's thinking of herself. So she's, she sees there's a light on Xavier's study, and she's going to go tell him that she's going to leave. She just can't stay. 
and she peers around the door and she sees an image and Xavier's in the room and there's this I- image and, and we, the readers, know it's Lady uh, Lalandra and Xavier's speaking with her and, and Amara, she wants to look away but she's, she can't. She decides not to and she just watches what unfolds and it's, you know, it's Xavier talking to the woman he loves and Amara and it's Lalandra telling Xavier that like she's, she's going to be gone for a long time and this is probably the last time that they're going to be able to communicate using their this telepathic rapport because the distance has gotten so great and you know Xavier's concerned like he thinks back to a time when he left uh, Lady uh, um, um, Moira McTaggart right and uh, how how when he came back from the war, their relationship had changed. And he wonders aloud if, if this could happen to, between him and Lalandra. And she can't say that it won't. And he tells her, well, she's going to have to come back to Earth, to him, to find out if it does. And she tells him she will. And, you know... They just tell each other they love each other, right? They say goodbye, that they love each other, and they hope to see each other again. And Amara is caught. Xavier sees her standing in the doorway, and he he's, feels, you know, kind of violated. But it kind of serves him right, because he's constantly reading people's thoughts without their permission. So, like, somebody saw some private stuff that he was dealing with. And she asks him who who that was. He tells her it's his his girlfriend, the ruler Lalandra, the ruler of the uh, Shi'ar Empire. Uh, she's going back to fight her sister for the throne. And you know, she asks him why. You know, if he, if he misses her so much, if he loves her so much, why didn't she just go with Lalandra? And he tells her, well, he has responsibilities. Uh, that he that transcend his personal desires and with more mutants being born into the world he someone has to be there somebody has to be there to help them learn to properly and safely use their abilities so that's his job and he takes that responsibility extremely serious And she easily connects to that, right? Because of what happened in Rio de Janeiro that, you know, if she doesn't learn how to control her powers, like, she she could destroy a city. And so that's the same thing. Like, Xavier, she has a responsibility to learn how to use her powers. And... You know, she wants to go home, but she knows that the best thing she can do is stay like her father had asked her to do and learn how to control her abilities. It's her responsibility. to take. She has to take responsibility for herself. She's in a situation that, yes, is difficult, but she's going to have to overcome that difficulty and, and figure out how to, to deal with this obligation. And that, that, you know, and Xavier points out, well, you know, that's what adult, you know, what that's what teenagers have to do. That's... This is the time when you when you come to terms with like what is responsibility and, and how how do you uphold the obligations of your life and that's a reality that 
everyone faces. So she's going to stay. She decides she's going to stay. She's, you know, she's going to stick it out and figure out how to, how to, to learn to control these abilities of hers because as, as has been driven home throughout this issue, responsibility, there's res- personal responsibility and obligations that have to be upheld and only she can uphold them. No one can uphold them for her. And that's that's where this issue ends. Uh, the next issue is entitled, Do You Believe in Magic? So that's episode, that is issue number 14. And we will get to that in episode 16. So now is the time I get to shamelessly plug next week's episode. Because I demanded it, episode 15 of Jane's Explores the New Mutants will be the Halloween special. It will be so. I warn thee now, magic, or perhaps (laughs) sulfur, is in the air as we explore limbo and the birth of the dark child in the Magic Miniseries. That's right. We're going to wade into limbo with Ileana Rasputin as she is aged seven years from a seven-year-old child to that of a teenage 14-year-old girl at the hands of Belasco and his demon minion, Sim. Will Ileana defeat these or will her soul be lost forever? Tune in next week and you'll find out the answer to that question and hopefully celebrate Halloween with James Explores the New Mutants. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. You can also contact the podcast via the Anchor Messenger. It allows you to record comments, questions, and have them sent directly to me. I can then play them directly in the episodes. It's an awesome, awesome way for you listeners to become involved, and I love, love answering questions on the air. So until next week, when we dive into issue number 14, episode 16, keep reading those comics. <laughs>